No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello everyone, I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. Today is Tuesday, I'm here with another story. This week I have Army veteran Kamal Ravikant, who is a, is a guy that I've been trying to get in touch with for a while, because the story is really interesting. He found himself just at, a, at such a weak point in his life, where he was physically sick, mentally and emotionally just distraught. And decided to turn it all around by loving himself. And he wrote a book on this called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And he's going to touch on that. He's going to touch on the whole process. We're going to talk about emotional health. We're going to talk about his time in the military and how his experience has changed the way that he views himself as a veteran, etc., it's a really interesting conversation. It's a longer interview uh, for one of these, but I think that you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, Army veteran Kamal Ravikan. Well, I was doing the Veteran Empire podcast. I was hoping to get you on that show um, to talk about your writing and such, and we unfortunately didn't get an opportunity to do that. So I actually don't know much about your military experience. It's, uh, it's not much, man. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very shy about it because... You know, I was stateside. I, you know, I was I, I trained, and you know, but that was it. I never got sent abroad. Um, you know, I never got to see combat. So, like, I'm almost shy. I feel like the guys who actually did get to see combat, those are the real veterans. You know, so I don't even call myself a veteran. Um, yeah, I feel very shy about it. If that makes any sense. You know, it does make sense, and I think that uh, I'm actually sort of glad you pointed that out because I'm sure that you know there's there's listeners in the audience that. That may also feel that way that, you know, you know, I know plenty of people that served, you know, in the past decade that still didn't leave stateside, um, even while the war was going on because of their job or their cert- like a certain uh, situation they're in. And it makes me wonder if they um, if if they feel the same way sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Uh, so, so but you but, said you were you were 11 Bravo, right? Yeah. Infantry. OK. Yeah. Well, that was a while ago, man. I was that was uh, I joined when I was 18. Um, but yeah, I can tell the story. Um, yeah, please. Um, I mean, when did we start recording? Oh, I, I, I started, uh, probably about two minutes ago. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right before I gave you the, the spiel on starting the story where you began, that's when I hit record. I'm sorry. I have a bad habit of just like hitting record and not letting the guests know it's, it's going on. I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. I don't mind. All right. So, I mean, I, I joined when I was, you know, I went to college for a year and I was in college and it was a big state school in upstate New York. And there's all people that was just get really drunk and never get to go to classes. And it sounds like fun, but I was just like, is this all there is? And I just decided I want to go do something bigger and better, something that challenges me, someplace where I can serve and be part of something. So I looked around and, and um, you know, went to the recruiter's office of the Marines, Air Force, Army, and um, 
army the army off me infantry, which just sounded really appealing. You know, at an eighteen year old, it sounded like the coolest thing I could do, and and so I took it and I joined. And then uh, next thing I know, a month later, I'm in Fort Benning, Georgia, getting my head shaved. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I've uh, you know, if anybody's familiar with you, you have uh, you know, you have nice flowing silver hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which so I'm sure it was, I'm sure uh, you, you know how you looked then and now are very different. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you something. You know, I still look back as boot camp as one of the best things, one of the best things I ever, ever did in my life, as one of the best gifts I ever gave to myself. Because it's like if you look at all these cultures, um, you know, like old cultures, tribal cultures. You know, when you turn from when you become a boy, when you're a boy and you turn into a man. You go through a rite of passage where you're challenged. You go out, you're challenged, you know, whether you're by yourself in the desert for days or whatever, you're challenged and you come back and you earn your right to be a man. I think in our society, we don't generally have that. You know, what do you do? You go to college, you get drunk, you, you show up to your classes, you study, and then next thing you know, you get a job. But I think the military really does do that, especially boot camp. You know, you come in and the guy, and the, you know, the boy who comes in versus the boy who comes graduates from boot camp is a very different person, right? Absolutely. And and I think it was it was actually one of the best gifts I ever gave to myself in my life because I I noticed you know people have been in the military we carry ourselves differently you know for the rest of our lives we have something that I think a lot of people are missing yeah like the sense of you can you know you you've been through some shit and you can handle it you know and uh, do you still good. notice I mean do you still notice those things even though the army was so long ago for it? do you do you still see the effects that, that uh, experience had on your has on your life still today? Yeah, because I've like traveled, you know, backpack around the world and that kind of stuff, and I just like never been afraid of anything. Like I will, it's just like that army gave me that sense of self that I can take care of myself. Yeah, you know, and that that was a that's a beautiful gift to oneself. Um, I won't say boot camp was fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think boot camp I've learned is one of those things that a lot of veterans. Uh, no one, everybody admits that it was miserable while they were in it, but we're all sort of curious to maybe go back for like a week and see what if we'll see, knowing sort of what the misery is like, going back and just doing it for like one week to see how we still feel about it. If it, because I feel like it'd be more entertaining a second time through for a shorter amount of period, knowing sort of what the game is, you know? Yeah, when you're not taking it so seriously. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but when you're 18, man, it's damn serious. <laughs> it is. It really is. You know, my first introduction to you was uh, the book that you wrote called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Uh-huh. Um, and this is when, this was, you know, this is when I realized that, that I thought you might be a good fit for the show. Um, you know, I, I don't know if my audience is familiar with your book or if they got a chance to, to consume any of your content, but, um, you know, maybe maybe tell us... Um, you know, maybe give us a little bit of context leading into the, the the time period that that book takes place in, and then go into sort of what your experience was, and you know, any any you know your experience with uh, with emotional health. Sure. Actually, the book came out of my experience. Um, I'm in Silicon Valley, so like after the army, I went up to college, and, um, and then I and I lived in upstate New York. I was doing trauma research. I left that and moved out here and joined startups and. You know, help build like some some companies out here, and being part of some companies, help build some, you know, build some, and that's been my career. And um, the last company I was building, um, I went all in. I put took every dime I had made and put it in it. And I had friends put money in it. It did. It was doing really well, and then blew up. 
and I'd been going for about three and a half years nonstop, no, not, not even a Sunday off, you know, for at least three and a half years. I finally allowed myself to start taking Sundays off after, I think, three and a half years, uh, just driving myself to the ground. And when the thing fell, when it blew up and it fell apart, I kind of blew up and fell apart with it. And I got really, really sick. I was bedridden. The doctors were like, they weren't sure what was going on. And, you know, I lost all my money. I lost my company. I was miserable, man. I was just fucking, excuse me, I was just fucking miserable. <laughs> hating, hating myself, hating life. Felt like I failed everyone. I didn't deserve to be around. And I really, honestly, if I had the strength, I would have offered myself. I just didn't have the strength for it because I was so sick. And I remember one morning I got up and I was like, I can't go through this anymore. I can't do this. It just, I'm done. I'm either getting out or I'm getting out of this, right? So I sat down and made a vow to myself uh, to get out of it. And the vow was actually turned out to be a vow on, on that I was going to love myself. Now, I'm not a guy who believed in it. And, you know, like I'm still not like the love yourself guy. It's like I'm, not, I'm just not. But I don't know where that vow came from, but I'm a big believer in commitment. When you make a vow and you make a commitment, you do it. You know, that's, that's, especially when you make a commitment to yourself. I think that's the ultimate commitment. So I set out to do it, and I started doing things that, like, just trying things that worked. And some just worked. You know, most didn't work. The some that worked, I kept, I went in deeper. And within a month, my, 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 my body had turned around, my life had turned around. Everything was just working, and I was no longer in a miserable place. Now, it, I did it in such an obsessive way. It became my only pure focus was just I was going to love myself. And... So it really, that, that obsessiveness, that literal obsessiveness that nothing else mattered, that only myself mattered in this way because I couldn't, even, I couldn't give to anyone if I was hating myself and hating life. I, was, I couldn't even give to myself. So that was a, just one single-minded focus. When I got better, um, I told some friends about it, about um, what I did, and it helped them. And so they were like bugging me to write this book. So I wrote this book basically to shut them up. And it was a short book, to the point, the kind of book that I'd want to read uh, that would help, you know, like no long, ramb- I hate long rambling theory. You know, you read, read a lot of books that are meant to help you, but they just fill with like just fillers and authors just going on and on. I just filled it with the very basics about where I was, what happened, uh, like how I got out of it and how anyone can replicate it step by step. And a few little theories of mine on why I think it works. And I self-published it. And the book on its own just took off and became a big bestseller in two years with no marketing. That book has sold over 100,000 copies. Wow. You know, it's become like a, like a bona fide and every, by every metric a bestseller. And it's still only available on Amazon, um, the paperback and Kindle. So kind of showed me the power of just like, you know, when we're honest, when we're not like trying to like make ourselves look great, when, we just start, when we're just being honest about, listen, I failed. I fell. I got up. This is how I got up. Here, step by step. If you, you know, if you ever fall, here's how you can replicate it. That's it. That's simple. Yeah. Um, and and so that's where that book came from. And honestly, I don't think any of these things is a panacea. Like I don't think you do one thing and just solves the rest of your life. It solves where I was. I was in a very dark, deep, deep, dark place. Like you know, um, times like that, I'm glad I don't own a handgun. You know, I've thought about owning a handgun just so, yeah, but you know, just, just for the zombie apocalypse, right? Just get a gun safe and put it in and whatever. Yeah. But like those times, it's a good thing I didn't own a handgun. And, you know, it's so easy to just take that way out. And um, so life happens, you know, you know, so one thing I've learned is like those things, that, like what I did, it worked. I get emails all the time from people who are just following what I did in the book and it works with them, changes their lives. 
the one thing I do point out is life still happens. You know, people you love pass away. You know, shifts happen, breakups happen. You know, all these things happen. Uh, so there's no, I think, one panacea for life. But there's like when we go in a focused way, you know, in in moments in our life, it changes everything. If that makes any sense? Absolutely, yeah. And then then it's a matter of having the practice. You know, like I've noticed on myself when I continue my practice, the practice that I outline in the book. Things, you know, things, even if life happens, you know, I had, I had a close, really close friend who was a brother to me die, you know, and it really was really, really hard. And honestly, it should be, you know, it shouldn't be easy when you lose someone you love deeply, right? Um, and suddenly, but it helps me like, it helps me um, be almost like, it's like a life preserver, you know, when you do like a daily practice, like going to the gym. You know, like, you can't just go to the gym for a month intensely. Yeah, you'll get in great shape and then just never go again. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. you got to continue on. And sometimes you do, you know, sometimes you take a break, but then you go back and you just go all out. And I think all these things in life, and it's actually a good reminder to myself, it's like the, the real magic happens when we go all out on ourselves. It's like, you know, it's like I sometimes think, um, someone actually asked me, well, isn't this narcissistic? And, I, you know, honestly, I think, Sitting around and hating ourselves is the most narcissistic thing we can do. It is like it's a come full on focus on on the negative, right? Versus if you work, we work on just our positive. Because what are the choice we have? We have to. I mean, we're here. We're gonna be gone before we know it anyway. We have to. If we, I think, and that in the end helps everybody because if, when we're better, you know, our lives are better and be better. Uh, the people, it's better for the people around us. I think it's the least narcissistic thing we can do is focus on ourselves in a positive way, in, a, in an obsessive positive way. Yeah, because when you when you're when you're narcissistic and hating yourself, you're not only tearing yourself down, but there's going to be great negative effects to the people around you. And yeah. I, and by loving yourself, you're experiencing gratitude, love, and compassion, which is something you're going to then give back to the other people around you as well. So, yeah, clearly hating yourself is way more selfish uh, in the sense that it's all about you and you're tearing everybody else down around you uh, with no concern for their well-being. Well, it's a complete opposite when you're, trying, when you're loving yourself. Yeah, and it's, you know, the irony, it's, it's very easy to hate ourselves. I don't know why, but it's almost like we're trained or wired that way, right? Our entire life trains us for that. Whereas loving ourselves actually takes like a committed, full-on practice. You know, it's like we've been eating junk food all our life, and now it's like, okay, you know, you get, if you want to get, if you're eating junk food, and all of a sudden you want to be like, you know, be a bodybuilder, or you want to be in this amazing shape and be in a cover of men's fitness, it's going to take a full-on obsession, right? Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with negativity versus positivity, but the results, you know, once one end you're a fat slob, and the other you're like, you're a fitness model. You know, the results are, you know, those are the results. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, another, another thing I still continue to learn is because sometimes I feel like, hey, I figured it out. Why do I still have problems? And, you know, another thing I learned is sometimes it's, it's okay. That's life, right? And it, well, one of the things we learn is to be gentle with ourselves when we're feeling like shit, when we're feeling bad about ourselves. Hey, it's okay. I'm human. It's part of the contract. There was no contract I signed when I was born that said it's all going to be great until I die. You know? yeah. No one ever signed that contract. No one was given that contract. And I think sometimes we expect that contract, right? I think the contract right here, welcome to life. It's yeah. going to be messy. That's a re- I mean, that's, <laughs> a really good, that's a really good point. Um, and, yeah, 
I really don't know how to explain that phenomenon either because we all experience it, right? We all we all get into a bad situation and at some point think to ourselves, I deserve better. And whether or not that may be true, it's uh, it's it's interesting to th- try to trying to figure out where that came from. Like, why is that the case? And yeah, you're right. We, there was there's no there was no guarantee uh, when we took our first breath that it was going to be an easy one. Um, yeah, I, I, I man, I would really like to have a conversation with someone about uh, about where that's rooted. Yeah, like I think I'm gonna write myself like a little piece of paper and stick it on the, up my desk. You know, a little contract from life. Welcome. It's gonna be messy. Try to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <And that's> it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be messy. Uh, <laughs> you know, so right. you mentioned when you were going through all this that you weren't strong enough to off yourself. Um, yeah. Were you experiencing any sort of suicidal ideation at oh, the time? Dude, that was like a good day. Um, so what is the, cl- I mean, what's the closest that you got to an attempt? You know, honestly, I've dealt with this a couple of times in my life. Uh, and maybe sometimes it's the one who falls the most is the one who learns and can share. Who knows? Um, like standing up, you know, climbing up to the edge of a cliff to a rock where I can't climb back. And it's all I can do is jump. But at the end, I figured out some way to climb back up. That might be the closest one. But that was years ago when I had strength. I've never told anyone. Huh. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, man. It's it's all about, you know, one thing I've learned, like, the if we have our own personal shit, the best thing we can do with it is if it shared, but only if it helps people. Yeah. Right? I don't believe in, like, the whole, you know, Jerry Springer, I just, you know, let's just air our dirty laundry purely for the sake of airing dirty laundry. Well, the only reason is if it's actually, like, hey, listen, I wonder, you know, being vulnerable uh, shows others that, hey, you know, you're not alone. Um, it's kind of funny, man. I get contacted by people all the time. They're like, hey, you, you're this confident, successful guy and blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, I suppose, but you have no idea what it takes to get there. It's work. And sometimes I still fall, you know, and sometimes I'm still really hard on myself. And I'm realizing, and that's okay. You know, that's, it's all okay. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel like there's no hope because it's, it's we all gonna hit that at certain points of our life. I think that's what it is. Like when we hit that, we just think that's it, no more. We're always gonna feel like this, and that's not true. You know, life is life. It's like a piece of music. It goes up and down. You know, it's got crescendos and 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 drops. And um, I think what's the concept? It's recency bias. When we when we're like just in the sh- when we're just in the pits, we just think that's it. It's always gonna be the pits. And that's the great lie. It's because it's never one way, you know. Especially when we start to work on ourselves. And honestly, if I've ever had a rough moment since the, since I came up with that practice, that's what's got me out of it. Continued going deep into the practice again and remembering that. Listen, the you know, it's like Solomon's ring. This too shall pass. Yeah, yeah. And my, that my so the very first episode of One Too Many was uh, my friend John Lee Dumas came on and interviewed me about my suicide attempt. Wow. And one of the things that I talked about was how my mom, in some of my worst my worst circumstances, were told me like Tim, this too shall pass. And of course, the more I got go into life, the more like I can't stand hearing that because I know she's right. And <laughs> it's it's like just let me be angry. Uh, but you know. <laughs> And I still, I hear, when I, when I start getting upset now, I can like hear my mom saying it in my head, like this, you know, this too shall pass. And I like remind myself, like, I just need to, 
I need to, I need to get, it's like a fever, you know, like, I just need to break through this fever, and I know it's going to suck, and I know on the other side, maybe I'm not going to be great, and there's going to be things I have to do to recuperate, but, uh, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, with bad circumstance in life, like, it's, this is not going to be easy to get through, but on the, there is a place on the other side, and it may not be a great place, it may not be fun, but there's going to be some t- there's going to be recovery uh, that needs to happen, but I will get there, and recovery can happen. Yeah, and one thing that really helps, and, do, you know, us as men, um, I mean, I can only speak for us as men, um, is that, you know, we tend to hold it all inside. And, you know, we're trying to just, you know, and that's actually just makes it worse. And I've noticed, like, when I hit a hard, if I hit a hard point, I reach out to one or two trusted wise friends. I'll make sure it's wise friends, you know. Um, it, it really helps, you know, because they can actually, because when we get stuck in a bad place, we don't have perspective, right? And if you reach out to someone who's wise, that you consider wise, who loves you, who you love, they can give you perspective. And sometimes that's all that's needed. That's yeah, really yeah. all that's needed because we're just stuck in this for in this trail in this forest. We can't see ahead, and they just remind you that you know this spring. There's a spring up ahead because they, they can see from above. When you were so when you were recovering, right? So when you were going through this practice, mm-hmm. um, you know, like what else? What else were you doing in your life? Like what? Um, what other lifestyle changes did you make to uh, not only with this mantra of loving yourself, but you know what other lifestyle changes or adjustments were you making, or at least trying to concentrate on? Honestly, at that time, none. Wow, uh, zero. Um, I just worked on the mental part because, like, a, a very smart, very wise friend of mine told me once, you know, life is from the inside out. Is what's going? You work on the inside; the outside improves. The inside goes downhill, the outside goes downhill. So all I did was work on the inside. I was literally locked up in my bedroom working on my inside. And you know what? That's all it took. That's all it took. Nothing else. So what were like what were some of the so I mean let's let's talk about you know the practice of um, of loving yourself of telling yourself that you love yourself uh, first of all I mean was it was it an out loud commit like thing were you were you speaking out loud to yourself or were well, you speaking it was like a multi part practice and I tried many things and I just you know the ones that didn't feel right I because I didn't know how to do it like when was the last time someone taught you how to love yourself. You know, yeah, and and if you read any books on it, they're they're like designed for women, and and incidentally, a lot I, I hear from a lot of men who's who say that they they read a book like this because it was written by a man from a man's perspective that they never would have read it. You know, the cover's got a guy holding a gun to his head with a big heart, right? That's not that that has a certain you know like men get it, right? And a lot of women get it too. But it's actually interesting. A lot of men tell me that they would never have picked up a book on that topic. And, and until unless they had to see that cover and realize it was written from a man's point of view, right? And what I was doing was I was just trying stuff, man. I was like just trying everything, and it was meditate, uh, trying a particular kind of meditation that I realized worked really well, uh, which was just a very short one, like a seven eight minute meditation, and then just obsessively like telling myself that I loved myself or looking myself in the mirror, like I didn't believe it. You know, I, I, I believe the opposite, but just doing it again and again with, a, with obsessive focus. And what you're doing is, if you, uh, if you know any, the concept of neuroplasticity, it's actually you're layering new pathways in your brain. You know, we have these lifestyle pathways of negative thoughts, these loops our heads run in. And 
what you but what if you add that emotion emotion is key and intensity even if you fake it over time it becomes a new pathway till that until that starts becoming a loop in your head you know and i was just just ha- basically like hacking you know using hacking techniques on my own brain so it was through a certain kind of meditation that i came up with that i tied it to music and 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 focusing on loving myself and light so it just really tied into all these concepts that the subconscious really is drawn to um the music because my it started anchoring my my thoughts to that music. So whenever I listen to music, it just made me automatically go into feeling positive for myself. Uh, you know, this obsessively telling myself I love myself, and then even asking himself this question uh, that I came up with. Like when I finally start getting better at interact, interacting with people, and you know, sometimes people you know, you interact with people and they're not very nice or they're not they bring you back down. And you, I would just ask myself if I love myself, would I let myself experience this? Not even, you know, do I love, you know, I love myself so I won't. I was like, if I love myself, theoretically, would, would I let myself experience this? And if the answer was no, I wouldn't do it, right? Because if you come from a theoretical place, then it's all possible. So and what, that ultimately made me do, do better choices with the people around me. If people were bad for me, if I love myself, would I let myself experience the answer? was no, so I would just walk away. So what changes were you noticing? Um, so one of my biggest accomplishments in 2014 was because it was reducing stress and anxiety in my life, not becoming angry about things. Most importantly, being able to dismiss negativity and disappointment. So when something didn't go the way I wanted it to, or when something could easily frustrate me, I quickly dismissed it and said, just that's fine. And then I just dealt with it you know, it's, and just rolled with the punches. Um, I can imagine you, you probably, I mean, imagine you experienced something similar and that once you were, once you sort of gotten uh, into this routine of loving yourself and, and sort of convinced yourself that that was the case, uh, did you experience similar things then when you were going back out into your personal and professional life and being able yeah. to yeah. dismiss negativity? It changes everything. You know, it's, it's, it's that one key thing. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I'm not doing the practice as regular as I should be, I notice it. I, my, my brain goes downhill. You know, the, those old paths are very strong. And maybe they'll be there for the rest of our life because we spend our entire lives creating these negative loops, right? So I think it requires, it's, it's just, I think the gym analogy, which I, you know, beat to death is so true. It's like going to the gym for your mind, for your heart, right? I mean, you need to go to the gym. If you want to be in shape, you got to go to the gym for the rest of your life. You know, you got to eat healthy for the rest of your life. If you want to have a certain... You know, like a positive life and a positive mind, and and you know, like enjoy. You got to work on it for every day for the rest of your life. You know, but it 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 it, it you know, but it cascades into everything. That's a beautiful thing. You know, you work on one core thing. I think there's a book called I was reading recently. I really like. It's called The Power of Habit, and and how you know we we form habits and how we change habits. And he was talking about something called a cornerstone habit, where instead of trying to change all of our habits, if we just change one, one cornerstone one, the casket effect helps you change all the other ones you were struggling with. I like and that. I, found that, I found that to be true, really true. You know, like, I think sometimes when we're trying to change things in our life, we get overwhelmed by all the things we want to change. So just pick the one key thing that really matters and just work on that. And the, it just cascades. Because I think also part of it is we learn to trust ourselves. Like, hey, listen, we... I made this commitment to myself. I'm making it happen. And as you start to trust yourself, you feel better about yourself, and the other things just become easier. Uh, you know, it's like it's like a muscle. You know, all of this is like 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 training your body. You know, you gotta um, like 
you know, like you do one core thing. If you're, if you're out of shape, you start going to the gym every day, you know, or you start doing CrossFit or you start, you know, cut out sugar and wheat, you know, one core thing and it cascades. You'll get to a certain shape and then you'll just want to do other stuff and get in better shape. Uh, I, I think if anything, uh, come on, I think that this conversation is letting people know that, uh, you know, emotional health can be self-driven and it's reminding everybody to get back in the gym. <laughs> yeah man yeah, yeah. so uh, um i've heard uh so, something that i read um i mean where i got it from i think it was from neil strauss is where i heard okay. it um but i don't know where, where it originates but the idea of not treating yourself in ways that you wouldn't let other people treat you and i think i think you can f- um then translate that when you've w- with the practice that you're doing and better maintaining how you let other people treat. So once starts once you start treating yourself better, then it then goes the other way. In that, like this is how I treat myself, and this is the only way that I'm going to allow other people to treat me. So did you did you notice effects there too? And and the way that, and, and being time. able to control not really control, but to um, to challenge people when they try to uh, talk to you in ways that you weren't willing to talk to yourself then. Big time. I notice that when I'm doing uh, the practice, I I don't let you know like I don't take shit from people or you know passive aggressive whatever from people. When I'm not regularly doing, I let them get away with it. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most important things is life is learning what to cut. It's I think life is not about adding; it's about cutting. Till so you get you just focus on the essence of things, right? To get fit, you cut out most of the crap junk food. You know, to you cut out most useless exercise, just focus on the basic lifts and sprints, and bam, you'll be in great shape, right? Same thing with relationships, man. Like, a lot of them drain you, so you cut them. You know, a lot of people are just like, you know, I mean, I to say, but like many people are just energy sucks, you know, you cut them. And so, what's left are the people who actually add to your life, you add to their life, right? Yeah. And even in business, a lot of stuff is not worth it. You realize, you know, the mistakes I've made in business is where I thought I needed certain people to make a deal happen or do something happen, but I wasn't, I didn't particularly like them as people or they were draining as people. It never worked. And when it does, it's not worth it because it just like it sucks your soul dry, you know? So something that, um, I think something that a lot of people will be able to resonate with, um, especially any veterans that are listening that, uh, or anybody that, for that matter, that, that are struggling with emotional health issue, issues, possible suicide ideation and suicidal behavior, uh, going back to before you started this practice and not loving yourself, what didn't you love about yourself? What sort of hate were you, were you portraying yourself? And like, were you, were, was it a sense of guilt? Was it a sense of disappointment? Was it like, what negative emotions were you feeling against yourself uh, that le- led to, to, to your problems? One uh, of it was a strong sense of failure that I failed. And, you know, it's interesting. We can fail, but it doesn't mean we're a failure. You know, you can fail, like, you know, so many, all the history stuff, you know, Abe Lincoln failed so many times and then he became, you know, and became president of the United States, right? But uh, I think we get caught into that because I'd failed, I was a failure, right? And I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worth anything. I, worth anything. I let everybody down. My, you know, I lost my company, I'd failed, so I'd lost all the investors' money. I'd lost my money. Um, um, that was a big one, feeling failure. So there, when you feel that way, there's no hope. 
when you know when when you what is it when you lose hope people perish it's really true um it was the main thing was failure and just that led to just me like feeling like everything every thought everything you think about yourself through that filter just you know nothing there's nothing good that comes out about yourself uh and it's it's a it's a you know the funny thing is it's a very seductive one I've, I've dealt with it again you know if things are not going well it's a it's an old pattern you know it's a very seductive pattern to feel that way about ourselves um i don't know why it just is and it just takes a conscious effort, you know, to get out of it. Um, so it was failure, and because of that, just hating myself and being, being so sick. Um, uh, so, like, um, not having hope there, not knowing what was going on there, beating myself up for getting sick. I think it was just a combination of, of just uh, everything to that one, that one filter. If that, you know, it's... I'd probably maybe looking at the filter, I had failed, and every, so when I looked at that, I looked at the rest of my life with that filter, I failed at everything. And what was the point then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I completely. Uh, I'm already thinking of times in my life where I've done the same thing. Um, so, you, so you, when you started the practice, and then what? So, what was like the first like a positive opportunity you got after you know? So, like you lock yourself in a room, you tell yourself that you love yourself for however however time. You go back out into your personal and professional life. What do you remember as like the first like positive opportunity that you got uh, after doing this practice? Well, first thing was that my body started getting better really fast. Which, you know, we've all, we know all about the data on that. Like, you know, we did initial Norman Cousins thing, right? With the guy who, uh, do you know about him? I'm familiar, like, I've heard of it, and I'm not familiar with it. It's a very classic thing where he was given by doctors some really, like, uncurable condition, and he was told by doctors he was going to die. And so basically, he locked himself in a hotel room and only watched, like, Laurel Hardy movies. Just made himself laugh and laugh and laugh. And he got fine. He got better, and he recovered. Huh. Right. This was a long time ago, which started maybe you know people doing research on the mind body connection, you know, which is you know the placebo effect. Effect is all mind body connection. You know, half the time you take a placebo, and it's just the results are just the same as taking a prescription medication, you know, without the side effects. You know, the 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 mind controls the body, and so I was under I was on all these meds and stuff, and they were not working, and. Uh, and I started taking, I started doing this, and immediately, bam! It was like that's when I noticed, like, oh shit, something's happening. I would like, I would wake up in the morning, yes, not my body not feeling miserable. It started getting better much faster, right? That was the first thing, because I'd going through all this time just not improving at all, and then just started skyrocketing. Um, that was the first thing. The second was then just the mental, noticing just my mental. Um, my my head was cleaner and lighter. It wasn't a dark place all the time. Um, I think those two were hand in hand. And then when I went out um, to the world and started interacting with people, um, I was still dealing with the company collapsing and you know a bunch of angry people and you know. But it didn't bother me like it did before. I just you know I realized like you know I'd done my best. I'd practically kill myself trying to pull this company off, which is better than most entrepreneurs would do. Um, and I, you know, I had made smart decisions and some of them just, you know, it's the luck of the draw didn't work out. Um, so, but I was able to see that before. So I was, once I was able to see that through this better filter, I was just, it got, things got to me less. And when that happens, you're just a better person to be around and people want to be around you. And then the people want to help you just come into your life more and more. Yeah. I, I think what's really, I think what's worth pointing out here is 
obviously, you know, things are going to bother you, and there's going to be challenges, and you're going to deal with, you know, let's, you're going to deal with the shit of life, but when you're more selective on what's going to bother you and how it's going to bother you, you preserve energy to best deal with those, with those issues. So if you, let, if you let something small bother you, then that's energy that you're spending on something that probably doesn't matter. And then when, you, when something that like need, actually does need your concern, when it, when it comes to you, it, the way that you approach it and address it uh, you know, can preserve energy and better use it to not only address uh, that concern, but still have energy left over to deal with maybe the smaller things that that are that do need your attention yeah yeah i mean it's actually very interesting you know like as i'm talking i'm figuring this out is the fact that i think it's the filter right we're like this obsessive way of changing the filter that we look at things um you know because when we're in this place where we want to off ourselves or we're hating ourselves it's a filter we're looking at all our life through it we're looking at all our life through a particular filter so all this obsessiveness on loving myself was a different filter that let me look at same things differently. And the funny thing is when you look at them differently, they start to change. It's just one of that is part of the contract of life, by the way. You know, it's yeah. only messy, but your your filter will dis, will define the messiness and the and the fun. Well come on, I um I I've made it through all my uh questions and notes here, but um you know sort of uh in closing, is there anything that uh, that you want to mention on uh, suicide and emotional health, either from your own experiences or just from maybe your own perspective uh, that we haven't touched on here yet? Well, one thing is, I think, I don't know if we're like ever fully, there's no, there's no like cure, cure, because life is life, you know, we're, we're still in our heads. I, you know, the thoughts can go away and then they can return. Life happens. Right. Uh, there's times when we stop going to the gym, you know, because of life and we get fat again or whatever. Um, it's, and you know, maybe it's, it's okay. Maybe that's the part that's, that's the contract. Like you said, you know, life can be messy and it's okay. And we can go back there, but we'll get out of it. And I, I do really believe in something like that. I've been calling like, you know, like the Phoenix effect. It's like every, here's a very important thing to, to know, but one of the most important things I've ever learned in my life, every person I've met that I consider great who's been very successful, who's got, like, you look at them and like, wow, how did this person living that life? Every single them, every single one of them has had a, at least one very hard fall. It's, it's almost like it's required. You have to fall to the depths and then rise from there where you've lost, like, your, your hope, your everything, and you rise from there, and that's where the phoenix happens. I like that. Right, but you rise higher than you ever could have ever imagined. But you have, so maybe it's like, you know, it's almost like when we when we have a fall, when we finally like out of our own negative self talk, remind congratulate ourselves because now we can use it to rise. I like that a lot. The idea of the phoenix. There's a there's a cool T shirt idea in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, come on. Thank you so much for joining me, man. It's um, it's it's, it's been a real pleasure. I've um, you know, to to be of service to any other veterans. You know, it's, it's a complete honor. I really involved. I really enjoyed my conversation with Kamal. You can just tell that he's such a genuine guy and uh, just wants to be able to use his experiences uh, to help others and sort of empathize and and uh, just you know just 
build that community, you know, and, and, and influence others. It's it's really amazing. Uh, before we closed out, he actually uh, gave some gave a little bit of employment advice, uh, some career advice, if you will. And uh, since we all know that purpose and opportunity is something that's vital for emotional mental health and contributes to the numbers of, of veteran suicide, uh, I figured that uh, we should include that. So here's here's Kamal's advice for all you all you veterans out there looking for a new career. And I'm a, you know, if any, I wish we had more veterans in Silicon Valley. You know, we don't have a lot, and those would be the best people to hire. You know, I would say if you're if you're out of the military and thinking of what to do, there's so many opportunities to learn how to code now, and it's so stupid simple now. You don't, you know, the way it's become. You know, go take those classes and move out here. First of all, one, you'll you'll land highly paying six big, you know, six figure jobs. Second, you will end up at companies where you potentially have an opportunity to like make seven figures because they sell, you know, they, all, they exit. It's like really like um, if, you, if anyone's confused about what to do, just go do that. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, there's so much opportunity here. It's insane. It's boom times. So, like just take advantage of boom times. So that's, that's like a hot topic right now in, uh, in the veteran space is employment. Um, and so, what you, so you're saying that uh, you know Sil- Silicon Valley recognizes that veterans are a strong uh, employment opportunity. God, yeah, I wish I personally, you know, if veterans reach out to me who were like qualified, I would work hard to land them somewhere. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm gonna. I need to find a right way to, to relay that message. Please. Um, yeah, because it's um. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, say coding. Any other like uh, opportunities uh, out there? Coding, basically, if, you can, uh, if you're a decent developer, you're the cheerleader at the party. You're the hot girl at the bar. Nice. That's the easiest way to get in, right? I mean, and really, like, coding at one point used to be really hard. You really had to know what you're doing. Uh, but now it's become so easy. There's so many libraries. You, you're basically standing on the top of giants who came and who made it easy for you. That, that you can learn stuff very, very, very easily and build great stuff very easily. And... And now you can join companies that can go from, you know, being worth nothing to a billion dollars in 18 months, right? And no, every, you know, everybody wants to be a business person, a company or whatever, but those are a dime a dozen, right? Any, any one of us can actually go out and try to make deals or whatever. That's his experience. But a, someone who can develop, is, is, that's a builder. That's valuable, right? So, like, the most valuable skill you can learn, and there's, there's online academies, there's offline academies, you know, Pick the look at the one that's like you think there's the highest demand. Like learn just how to make iOS apps, become a good iOS engineer, good you know, and that's easy. Or you know, learn learn like Ruby on Rails, which is so simple, you know. But like learn and build stuff. You got to build stuff. You got to show what you built, and then just start applying and start coming and joining startups. You know, at the beginning you may even join one and make not too much money, um, but after six months you'll have the experience you need, then you can go jump to one and just make a lot more money. I mean, it's insane. It's so easy to get a six-figure job. It's stupid. Wow. I shit you not. It's so stupidly easy. I may be reconsidering career paths. Yeah, and it's not going away. It's not going to go away. You know, like we have this phrase called software is eating the world, and every every single industry is being affected by the internet. You know, finance, healthcare, um, you know, transportation, everything is involving software. It's involving the internet. It's not going away. So there you go. If if you're into software, if you're into coding, uh, there's there's opportunities out there for you. Uh, if it's something you want to get into, uh, I'm sure you can uh, look at some education routes to to get you that training and and get you set up for that sort of success. 
Thank you so much for listening. One too many project.com. It's O N E, the number two, many project.com. We're also on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash veteran suicide. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Lawson21, or you can email me, Tim Lawson21 at gmail.com. And uh, if you'd like to be on the show, if you want to comment on the show, whatever it may be, I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you tomorrow with my momentary reflections. <laughs> <laughs>